Hey everyone, glad you had an opportunity to take a listen to the His Top Ones podcast. Thank you for just uh, tuning in. So today, I just want to start with uh, the way this is designed. Um, Of course, you can listen to it, but you also have the option. Periodically, you will hear me uh, refer to doing something specific in your Bible, maybe highlighting something or underlining something. You know, no worries. If you don't have that uh, opportunity while you're listening, you can always go back. But I do suggest that if you want to get the most out of it, um, you could actually listen to this podcast while you're actually going along in that particular book that we're studying. So with that said, we're going to look at the price that was paid by Christ. And so we're going to start this study off in Romans chapter four. If you have not had an opportunity to read Romans one through three, um, if you hold on, I will possibly be able to get a chance to load those uh, as well. So you could start in order. But with that said, we are going to focus today on Romans chapter four. As a quick review, when you look back at Romans three, Romans three is where Paul is discussing. He's laying out this case um, for his Jewish audience in Rome. And Paul is just going through his steps of just sequentially laying out his reasons for uh, reminding the Jews that there shouldn't be any superior thinking uh, just because that they have been given the law and that salvation or faith in Christ or righteousness in Christ comes through the faith that we have in Christ. And so we pick this back up in Romans four. When you think about it, when we read the Bible, chapters were inserted later on, uh, but technically the way the original word was written, chapters were not present. So when you read through, think of it as a continuation of his thoughts. So we'll just start with a note uh, that I found on totallyhistory.com for regarding Romans chapter four. It said in Romans chapter four, Paul begins by talking about Abraham and how he had a lot of things to boast about because he was a righteous man. However, he did not boast about himself, but rather credited his righteousness for believing and trusting in God. And so again, this is just an opportunity for us to think about, well, how is, if Abraham had to be made right with God, well, in 2021, how do I have to be made right with God? So before we pop off and jump into this, I wanted you to to know also that I'm using the Passion Translation um, of the Bible, and you can find that on BibleGateway.com. So you'll hear a few questions here or there that I want you to think about. But if you have an opportunity also to uh, sit down and just jot down your responses, you can go on BibleGateway.com and find the Passion Translation. Um, So again, I encourage you, you can uh, listen to this the first time and then the second time you might decide to go back. So just a few suggestions while you are studying. um, It's good for us to synthesize the information. A lot of times we read and that first reading won't give us everything that we need. So a lot of times when we go back and listen to it or when we actually interact with the text, I suggest you could mark a verse if you'd like to uh, highlight words or while you're listening to this, just, you know, take a note out or if you're on your phone, you could pull up your notes app and jot some ideas real quick while you're listening. Or you might want to rethink about a verse or verbalize that verse again, or you might want to at a later time, possibly draw a diagram or, or anything like that. So with anything, We want to start off first by prayer and preparation before we read his uh, holy word. So if you'll join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to see another day. We thank you for giving us life and the ability to hear your voice and learn your word. Breathe new life into us. Give us a fresh anointing so that we can understand and carry out your word in our lives. Help us to be whom you created us to be. Help us to walk how you walked. 
As we open your word, we believe that it is alive and it speaks to us today. We pray that your word is sown deep within us and we prohibit the enemy from being able to remove it. Have your way, God, in, for, and through us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So with this first episode, I wanted to introduce you to something that I've been studying lately, and it's called Lectio Divina, if you haven't heard of this. Uh, but what it is, is just the monks would practice this. And it was an opportunity to take a spiritual reading, meditate on it, pray over it, and, and expect that God would commune with you. It is used to increase the knowledge of God's word, but most of all, it's to experience the presence of God while we're actually reading the Bible. In the view of one commentator, it does not treat scripture as text to be studied, but as the living word. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you an example of that. It's broken down into four stages. Um, the first one is where we get that word. You think of L-E-C-T-I-O. Uh, think of the word lecture. It's where we read the scripture and then we are observing any words or phrases that God is illuminating for us. And then the second reading, we think about those words or phrases again, you know, and if you have an opportunity, you can write them down, you can whisper them to yourself, but you just want to have an opportunity there to meditate. And the third reading is what they call oratio. Think of the word oral. And that's when we respond to God. We repeat the words out loud. We pray what we've received back to God. We enter into a conversation with him. We let him disclose his truths to us. We let him speak to us. And then you can write any additional thoughts that he's giving you. And then lastly, in the fourth reading, it's what we call our contemplation phase. And that's where you intentionally slow down, you read the scriptures, you allow the Holy Spirit to sow the word deep within you. And then as he's sowing that word, you're receiving his word into your spirit. You can profess and you can confess the word. Now, remember, he says out of your belly should flow rivers of living water. And so as we are adding to our spirit and growing up our spirit, man, we need to remember that we want a well that will never run dry. So think about this quote in silence and stillness before the Lord, utter thankfulness and praise in your heart. Then you can write any additional thoughts he's giving you. Apply the chosen scriptures to your life. Place your name into the verse, then simply rest in the Lord's presence and allow him to change you. And you can find that in a book titled The Art of Praying the Scriptures, A Fresh Look at Lectio Divina. So with that said, we're going to jump off and we're going to start with Psalm 119 verses 103 through 105. And I'll read those to you and we'll go through those four stages. So starting verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So think about any words that were highlighted, words or phrases that the Holy Spirit, it just, you know, something in your spirit you experience when you listen to his word. And so what you'll do in the second phase is you'll just meditate on those actual words. What words did he actually highlight for you? So I will read through this again. And again, this is the meditation phase where we'll actually just think about the words that the, that the Holy Spirit highlighted for us. So reading again, verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You can whisper anything that you were thinking about as you hear this. Let's enter the third phase. And that again, that's where you can respond to God. You can pause this video, have a conversation with him, ask him any questions, something that you don't even understand. So let's read it again. 
How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now the last phase is where we contemplate the word. And so in this last phase, when you're doing this on your own, you would read intentionally, you would slow the word down to give the Holy Spirit time to just really sow that word into you so you can contemplate the word. Again, remember, we want a well that will never run dry. So here's the last and final reading. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so that will end this time of using this process, Lectio Divina. I encourage you to use it in your own uh, private time. Um, but now as we go on, we want to just continue that preparation. We prayed and we focused in on a scripture. So here's a time where we just worship God and you worship him in your own way. You can lift up a, a, a song that maybe you heard when you woke up in the morning or in the evening or in the middle of the day. And you can sing that new song. You don't have to be on American Idol to lift up a voice unto the Father and to worship him in the beauty of holiness. It's whatever song he's placed on your heart. So today I want to just share a song that he's placed in my heart. And if you love, know this song, just follow along with me. And we'll read the lyrics first. And the title is I Love You, Lord. And the lyrics state, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love you, Lord, and I lift my to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy my King, in what you and let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Come on and worship right now. Sing that again. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King. In what you hear, let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Hallelujah. We just worship you, God. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor, God. 
Enlighten us, God, as we go through your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we are going to be like the Bereans, hopefully every day. And we're going to do what we call what is found in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 11. It says the Bereans, they search the scriptures to see the truth, to seek the truth. And so again, we are starting, we're taking a look at this in the Passion Translation. So we'll go ahead and read, starting with verse one. Let me use Abraham as an example. It is clear that humanly speaking, he was the founder of Judaism. What was his experience of being made right with God? Was it by his good works of keeping the law? Now let's just stop there because that's the question that we're thinking about today. What is our experience or how do we come to know that we are being made right with God? So remember, Paul is continuing this conversation with his, with his audience and he's going to lay out this case. So let's continue with verse two. Was it by his good works of keeping the law? No, for if it was by the things he did, he would have something to boast about, but no one boasts before God. Verse three, listen to what the scriptures say. Because Abraham believed God's words, his faith transferred God's righteousness into his account. When people work, they earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because they earned it. No one earns God's righteousness it can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works, but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. Look at that. And so what we listen to that, what Paul is saying, what is, what is he saying? He's saying that in, in verse three, that Abraham believed God and because of his belief in God, his faith or his belief transferred God's righteousness into his account. And so Paul is stating here, he's saying that, hey, no one earns God's righteousness, not by works, but by faith. And he ends this in verse five by saying, you too, faith is transferred because we first believe and then the exchange is made and God's righteousness through our belief in Jesus Christ is transferred into our account. So if we look again, here's just a way just to reiterate and synthesize the information. Think about what you heard. Verse three, what did Abraham have that resulted in righteousness being credited to his account? In verse five, what did Paul say that we cannot earn? What transfers righteousness into our account? And in verse five, what does it say that we must believe? So let's continue on. Paul is kicking this in gear. He's just talked about Abraham. And now he's going to use David as his one of his examples and laying out this case. Verse six, even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness. Listen to that complete wholeness that comes inside a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. Here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by the blood. I got to stop right there. That applies to all of us who have accepted Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven and covered by the, by the blood. Look in verse eight, continuing, what happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them. I will never hold your sins against you. So look at that. We're thinking about, listen to that. Listen to what Paul is saying, that what comes a complete wholeness that comes inside a person when we believe God and we exchange our righteousness for his. Now listen to this phrase, happy fulfillment is for those, for those whose sins has been, have been forgiven. 
So here's something to think about. Think, go back just to reiterate so you can solidify this in your thoughts. Again, what did, in verse six, what did King David say that he received? This is part of being like the Bereans, just going back and just rethinking what we've heard. In verse seven, we heard the phrase, the happy fulfillment is used. When you reflect, when you think, when you ponder, what is happy fulfillment to you? How do you define that? When I listened, had an opportunity to listen to one of our leaders uh, in the faith, he talked about this. And one thing I, when he mentioned was so interesting to me, he said, you know, how we define it, how we define happiness, the fulfillment of happiness. That was uh, Pastor Rick Warren. How we define that is the direction that our lives will take. So I add to that thought by saying how you, how we define happy fulfillment is going to guide every decision we make. For instance, if I think happy fulfillment is based on how much money I have in my account, guess what? I'm going to make decisions based on that. I might strive towards money. If I think that the next relationship is happy fulfillment, guess what? I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to strive towards that goal. So we have to stop and ponder in our life and say, what is really fulfilling? What what, how do I define happiness? And then let's continue on. If we are saved, just back to the text, what did Paul say that the Lord will never hold against us? Okay. So before we continue on with, with this chapter in Romans four, it's important that, uh, we think about the Abrahamic covenant. Um, you can, on your own time, you can read this in chapters 12, 13, 15, and 17, and then fill it in in between. But here are some things that I want you to think about. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant. God said Abraham would be a great nation. He said that Abraham will be blessed. He said his name will be great. He said that Abraham will be a blessing. And then he said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He also gave him a promise of redemption told him his number of descendants would be like more than the stars. He wouldn't be able to count them and that he would give his offspring land. Now that's part of the Abrahamic covenant. You can find that in Genesis 12 and 15 and some additional chapters. So I'm going to read it so that you can hear it first and then we can continue on with Romans 4. So verse chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 states, Now the Lord said to Abram, note, not Abraham, Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families, listen to this, of the earth will be blessed. That's us. Now listen to Genesis 15 verses five through six. And he took him outside, he, God, and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Listen to that last line, reckoned it to him, credited his account as righteousness. Or in other words, Abraham, when I look at you, first of all, your name is no longer Abram because of the covenant. You are now Abraham. And when I look at you, I see my righteousness, my righteousness. So again, think about that for ourselves today. So let's continue with verse nine. Here's Paul. Now think about it. There's Paul again. Does this happiness, happiness, remember happiness, happiness come only to the Jews or is it available? Listen to this phrase to all who believe our answer is this. Faith was credited to Abraham as God's righteousness. That's what we just spoke about. Verse 10, and Paul says, how did he receive this gift of righteousness? Was he circumcised at the time God accepted him or was he still uncircumcised? So let me pause. So Paul is going back and he's saying he's talking to the Jews because they're making this big deal about circumcision and uncircumcision and relating it to how, how worthy they are, how pious they are, that they could be righteous based on a physical tradition. 
So Paul is addressing that in this verse. And he's saying, clearly, Abraham was an uncircumcised Gentile when God said this of him. So look at the timing. When God made the covenant, he was uncircumcised. Right. So he continues on with his argument. Number 11, verse 11. It was later that he received the external sign of circumcision as a seal to confirm that God had already transferred his righteousness to who? To Abraham by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So now Paul says this qualifies Abraham to become the father of all who believe among the non Jewish people. That's you. That's me. If you're not Jewish by birth and like their father of faith, Abraham, God also come on now transfers his righteousness to them. Who's the them you and I by faith. So when we have faith in Jesus Christ, the same righteousness that was applied to Abraham is applied to us. Come on, come on. That's worthy of a shout. So just synthesize what we've heard. Go back in your own quiet time. But look at that. Verse 11, according to Paul, what did God transfer? I believe you can already answer that. According to the verse, what do non-Jewish people receive if they believe in God? I believe you can answer that. And so just as a reminder to sum it up. Now, remember the process. Abraham had faith in God. God then turns around and gives credits Abraham's account. Think about accounting if you've ever taken a class, those debits and credits. God took look took a look at Abraham's account and said, I don't debit you. I credit you with righteousness. And why, Abraham? Because you had faith in me. Man, I don't know about you, but I have to shout on that one. I have to shout on that one because that's saying to me that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Christ paid it all, paid it in full. So let's continue before I shout here. Verse 12, Paul continues. Yes, Abraham is obviously the true father of faith for the Jewish people who are not only circumcised, but who walk in the way of faith that our father Abraham displayed before his circumcision. So he's saying, hey, the people who are circumcised, as long as they are exercising faith in the same way, our father Abraham displayed faith before his circumcised or have were circumcised. You know, they walk in the same way of Abraham. So Paul then switched, he, he gears up his argument. And so the subtitle of this next se section is the promise of faith versus keeping the law. So let's continue with verse 13. God promised Abraham and his descendants that they would have an heir who would reign over the world. This, check this out, royal promise was not fulfilled because Abraham kept all the law, but through the righteousness that was transferred by faith. For if keeping the law earns the inheritance, then faith is robbed of its power and the promise becomes useless. Go ahead, Paul. He's saying there's no need for faith. If keeping the law, if being circumcised, if following the rituals would uh, do all that we needed to do, then faith has been robbed of the power. So look at verse and listen to verse 15 for the law provokes punishment and where no law exists, there cannot be a violation of the law. So think about that. So what he's saying is there were people who existed before the Mosaic law. So what about those people? How can there be a violation if they didn't even have the law? Okay. And you could do some further reading on that. Um, that's interesting, actually, when you think that actually through. So again, we are like the Bereans. We're going to seek and find in the scriptures. So just to synthesize what we've just heard, here's the question. Who do you think the heir who would reign over the world is? And then think about this. If you are a child of God and Jesus Christ is an heir, what does that make you? Or in other words, what is your inheritance? Okay, that's powerful right there. So let's look at verse 16 or listen, I'm sorry, to verse 16. And you can look at it later. The promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced as a, listen to this, a grace gift. 
And now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. The promise is not only meant, here we go, for those who obey the law, but also to those who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. 17, that's the scripture. That's what the scripture means when it says, I have made you, God talking to Abraham, the father of many nations. He is our example and father for in God's presence, he believed that God can raise the dead. Listen to this and call into being things that don't even yet exist. Come on, Paul. So what he's saying, even Abraham himself knows that God can call things into being that don't exist. Come on, come on. What is he talking about? He's saying Jacob, right? Abraham, I'm sorry, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham did not have an heir. So he knew that God could call things, call Isaac, all call it be just be by the power of his word that he did. His son did not exist. And for ourselves, let's think about this Lazarus, right? Calling things, raising them from the dead. Now here's the question. What things can God call for your life? What things can God call that don't exist yet? So let's keep reading. Verse 18, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. I got to stop right there. So what are we believing? What are we expecting God to fulfill? And then listen to this. He says he took God at his word. And as a result, he became the father of many nations. So the result comes. Listen to this. After you believe God, you expect him to fulfill it and you take him at his word. Come on. That's the formula, right? That's the formula. Let me continue. God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. Remember Genesis continuing on verse 19, in spite of being nearly 100 years old, when the promise of having a son was made, Abraham, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. So do we know from reading the scriptures, there was a time, you know, Abraham, he had a little doubt. He had a little doubt. But I believe it's my opinion that in his true core, in his heart, he believed God. So yeah, you know, time passed and he started to waver in his faith a little bit and they had Ishmael. But Paul was still saying, I think he's referring to the core of his belief. And even in ourselves, when we receive a word from God, you know, time is passing and you're wondering, where's this manifestation, God, of what you told me, right? We sometimes doubt, sometimes make decisions, sometimes go on our own way, creating our own Ishmael's in our lives. But so what? When we make that mistake, we get up. He says a just man who falls seven times, they get back up again, just like Abraham. God did not count it against him because he had this doubt because whatever is God, God's word says, I will send my word and it will not return to me void. So it's the same thing with our lives. So again, let's synthesize, go back. Let's think about the verse 16 again. What does the promise depend on? And then who is the promise extended to now? And has there ever been a time when you had to believe against all odds and things looked hopeless, hopeless, hopeless? And so we're going to do a quick word study. Uh, I will tell you, when you get a ch an opportunity, uh, you can go on BibleHub.com and some other places, Bible Gateway, use your app. And then you can actually find uh, 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 some tools that you can use to do a word study. But I, when I was reading this, I looked at the upcoming word that's coming up in the, the next verses. And the word is glorified. So I wanted to be reminded because it says Abraham glorified God. So in this particular scripture, glorified refers to the Greek word doxa. That's D-O-X-A is the transliteration and the phonetic spelling is D-O-X. 
dash a h think about it this word says that it means praise it means honor it is something of a divine quality it's an unspoken the glorified or glory can also be the unspoken manifestation of god his splendor it's when we exercise a personal opinion when we glorify of god it also corresponds to the Old, Old Testament word K-A-B-O. By the way, this is the Strong's entry number 1391. And these terms convey God's infinite and intrinsic work. Listen to that. It evokes a good opinion. So when Abraham has glorified God, we're going to see that. Think about that definition when, I re when we continue reading. So starting with verse 20. He, Paul continues, he never stopped believing God's promise for he was made strong in his faith to father a child, Isaac. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham doxa God. Abraham glorified God. Abraham gave praise to God. Abraham demonstrated a good opinion of God. Abraham, right, demonstrated the intrinsic value and worth of God the Father. So that's powerful. That's what a word study will do. So let's continue in verse 22. Now, you can see why Abraham's faith was credited to his account as righteousness before God. And this declaration was not just spoken over Abraham, but also over us. Come on now. That's when we bring it to our present time. It's spoken over us. For when we, come on, believe and embrace, embrace who? The one God who brought our Lord Jesus Christ back to life Perfect righteousness, there's those debits, credits, credits, will be credited to our, your account as well. Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. And he was raised back to life to prove that he had made us right with God. I don't know about you, but that is worth a shout. That is worth a hallelujah. It does not matter what you did yesterday. It does not matter what you did last year. It does not matter as long as you have Christ in your life. No shame can overtake you. That's why he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to who? To those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation because why? What Paul is saying, we have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus resulting in our justification before God. So God's wrath does not abide on God's children. So right now, if you have any shame, take it off. Take it off your shoulders. If you're carrying a burden, take it off your shoulders. He said, my burden is, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Right. And so we just need to be reminded sometimes when we read God's word, we're reminded of the truth. Like the Bereans, we study, we learn, and it'll cause us to shift to a greater level. So again, let's synthesize. Look at verse 20 and listen or look to at verse 24. What happens to us when we believe in God and when we are saved through faith in Christ? Look and then think about verse 25. What did Jesus prove when he was raised back to life? Those are just some of the think, things that we can think about. You know, when I was younger, my mother, my grandmother would always say, so what about it? And, you know, I could hear her in my head right now. And so I say, so what about it? What about this argument that Paul has laid out for us in Romans 4 when he was talking to Jews, a Jewish audience, but because God's word is so powerful, it applies to us today. So I found this, it's an unknown source. This is not the, the next reading. It's, it's not something that I wrote and I apologize because I don't know where I found it. So I, I hesitate to say where, but this is a quote, but this sums it up. Listen to this justification, a forensic term opposed to condemnation as regards 
it as regards its nature, it is the judicial act of God. Listen to that justification, a judicial act of God by which he pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ and accounts, accepts, and treats them as righteous in the eyes of the law. For example, as conformed to all his demands, all its demands, the demands of what? The demands of the law. In addition to the pardon of sin, justification declares that all the claims of the law are, listen to this, satisfied in respect of the justified. What is he saying? Like Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to satisfy it. I came to fulfill it. And to fulfill it for who? For the justified. That's you. That's me. It is the act of a judge, not of a sovereign. The law is not relaxed or set aside, but it is declared to be fulfilled in the strictest sense. And so the person justified, that's you, that's me, is declared to be entitled to all the advantages and rewards. Remember we talked about error arising from perfect obedience to the law. Oh my God, we couldn't do it. We can't do it. The Jews couldn't do it then. Abel couldn't do it. Cain couldn't do it. Sarah couldn't do it. Abraham couldn't do it. We can't do it. But we know the one who is the perfect satisfaction of the law. His name is Jesus Christ. And so think about this. Continuing with this quote, it proceeds on the imputing or crediting to the believer by God himself of the perfect righteousness, active and passive of his representative and surety, Jesus Christ. Come on now. So justification is not the forgiveness of a man without righteousness, but a declaration that he possesses, you and I, a righteousness which perfectly and forever satisfies the law, namely who? Christ, his righteousness. The sole condition on which this righteousness is imputed or credited to the believer is faith in or on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Faith is called a condition, not because it possesses any merit, but only because it is the instrument, the only instrument by which the soul, your soul, my soul appropriates or apprehends Christ and his righteousness. The act of faith, which thus secures our justification, secures also at the same time, come on, our sanctification. Come on, we got to pause there. Justification, the act of faith, secures at the same time our sanctification. And, 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 and because of this, the doctrine of justification by faith does not lead to licentiousness described in Romans 6 verses 2 through 7. Good works, here's the point, while not the ground, while not the basis, are the certain consequence of the justification. In other words, hey, we're justified and we are in the process of being sanctified. So in other words, we tend to put away, lay lay aside every weight and sin that easily besets us. Are we ever going to be sinless? No, but can we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, sin less? So with that in mind, when we go through a, a chapter like this, one uh, Romans chapter four, it's good to see what the other scriptures say to help balance it out. So we're going to look at a few scriptures in the Old Testament and in the Psalms and some other uh, scriptures to just seal this and round this concept of justification or righteousness in Christ. In other words, our first question, how are we made right with Christ, with God? So this is found in Psalm 32, verse two, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. That's David. Psalm 71, 16, I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. Psalm 89, 16, in your name, they rejoice all the day and by your righteousness, they are exalted. Come on, Isaiah 45, 24. They will say of me only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. 
Isaiah 61 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in, in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Isaiah 61 10. Here's John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. And listen to this, does not come into judgment, but has, past tense, passed out of death into life. Acts 13, 39. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be free through the law of Moses. 1 Corinthians 1.30, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Oh my goodness, there is the complete, complete package, part of it, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Therefore, here it is in Galatians 3, 7 through 9, here it is. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of the faith, right, right here, you and me, are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Oh my gosh. I want to say, if I could send you a meme, a gif, something, won't he do it? What is your reaction? I know what my reaction is. This is the good news. This is the good news. It's beyond just being saved from, you know, fire and brimstone, but it's also being saved from the enslavement of sin, the enslavement of, of, of having to figure out how to follow this law that's impossible to keep only but by faith in Jesus Christ. So I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that you have a new outlook, that you view yourself differently, that you don't walk around in condemnation another day in your life. And if you are under the sound of my voice and you are not saved, I want to read this scripture to you found in the Amplified Bible. And if you are saved, you can use this to help bring someone else to salvation. And so if you're not saved, all you have to do is open up your mouth and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then here's the, the second part. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And so if you listen to it in the Amplified, it says, because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, come on, you can do that right now. Recognize his power, recognize his authority and majesty as God. Come believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and then you will be saved. You do this with your heart for with your heart, you believe in Christ as savior resulting in your justification. What does that mean? Again, what we just read that you're being made right. You're free from the guilt of sin and you're made acceptable to God. So you just open up your mouth. Now you open up your mouth. God, I receive it. I received God. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He, he went to the grave. He conquered death, hell, and the grave on my behalf. And I am now raised and I'm justified. That's all you have to do. That's with your mouth. You're, you're acknowledging, you're confessing. And what will this result in? It will result in your salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him, whoever adheres to trust in and relies on him, come on, you will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction, back to what Paul said, you don't have to worry. There's no distinct, distinction if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile, for the Lord is the same Lord over us all. He abounds in riches. And for all you today, if you are, are, are standing in the kingdom right now, and if you're entering in the kingdom, for all who call on him, on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So today I congratulate you. If this is your day of salvation. And so we wrap this up by just closing in prayer. We praise God for who he is. 
We take the word and we pray the word that we just learned. We acknowledge and we thank God for who he is. We praise him for being Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides all that we need. We praise God for being the Alpha and the Omega in our lives. We praise God that he was the one and there's no other name in heaven and the earth that's greater than his. We praise God. We exult him. We doxa him. We thank him for making us in his image and his likeness and in his likeness. We thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. God, we thank you for the presence that you've placed within us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we can be led and guided into all truth. We thank you, God, as we read your word, that you rightly divide it for us, God, so that we are without error, God. And then when we do find ourselves in error, that you come along and you fix that and you change that for us. We thank you for the people you've placed in our lives, God. And God, we thank you most of all, according to Paul, according to Romans chapter four, God, that we are justified by our faith in Christ Jesus, that it's not by works, but it's by your free grace gift, God, that we have been made right. You have credited righteousness into our counsel. Therefore, there is now no con- condemnation for us, God. We understand that through Paul, God, that justification, sanctification, and redemption go together. We thank you, God. that you have offered this to us freely, that it is not by works, but by faith alone in Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for our father Abraham, God, that went before us and modeled and showed us the way that we don't have to keep the law, God, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, we seek to please you. We seek not to transgress the law, but when we do, we know we have the faithful intercessor. His name is Jesus Christ, the one who has gone before for us and now who's seated at the right hand we thank you lord we acknowledge you we know that you are the beginning and end god and so we thank you for the blessing we thank you god according to numbers chapter 6 24 through 26 and so i want to pronounce a blessing upon all of you that you will be that yahweh will bless you watch over you. Yahweh will smile on you and be kind to you. That Yahweh will look on you with favor and give you peace. And so I just thank you for this opportunity that you spent with us, with us today, that we are disciples. We don't claim to know it all. We just claim to seek the one who knows it all. And so we just end with our slogan today and we praise God. We praise God. And we know that there are good things in God and that God is in all good things. And so I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I pray that you share friends, neighbors, communities. I pray that you even have an opportunity to sit back down and go over this. And remember, we were in the Passion Translation. But I thank you for tuning in and listening to this podcast. May you be blessed, HTO, His Taught Ones. May you manifest all the things that God has set aside for you in your life. In Jesus' name, amen.